Hello and welcome to the Modern Fairy Sightings podcast, where we listen to people's fairy encounters. But take heed, we're not talking about winged tinkerbells here. These are real fairies, real encounters that took people like you and I by surprise. Stay a while and hear their stories. My name is Joe Hickey Hall and I'm a folklore researcher. Hello dear listener, how are you? I hope you're well. We are starting to experience the transition in seasons here from summer into early autumn and it often seems to trigger shifts for many people, sometimes illnesses too. It's a time for being true to how you really feel and resting when you need to. I'm going to keep this short, but I know that you're going to love this episode. Paul Sinclair is a highly acclaimed researcher from North Yorkshire in England, and the phenomena he has uncovered is simply mind-blowing. In this episode, he talks about his own experiences, as well as some of the encounters he has written about in his excellent truth-proof books. Highly recommended. Links to Paul's website and the books are on the show notes at scarletofthefay.com and check out his Thursday night live stream on YouTube, which is his Paul Sinclair channel, where he interviews different guests each week. In fact, I enjoyed being a guest on his show in early August 2022. Thanks so much to all the Curious crew for their generous support of this project and a shout out to our new Curious Enchanter, Alicia. Welcome. Join us on Patreon if you'd like to support this show and follow me at underscore remain underscore curious on Twitter and on Instagram. My contact form does appear to be up and running now on my website and again apologies to anybody who wrote and didn't hear back from me. For a long time the contact form was just not working and the messages that were sent via that form would just disappeared into the ether. I've never been able to receive those. So if you did get in touch and you didn't hear back from me, please do try again through the website now and that should all be fixed. Enjoy the chat, look after yourselves and above all, always remain curious. excited to welcome to the podcast Paul Sinclair. Paul is a researcher of the paranormal and high strangeness. He's based in North East Yorkshire and he is the author of the excellent Truth Proof series which I am just devouring. Welcome Paul. Thank you Joe. it's uh, great to be speaking with you today and uh, hope we can get through a few little bits of information and entertain the people who are listening. Absolutely. I mean, I've uh, been listening to you on um, The Unexplained with Howard Hughes. I'm a massive fan of Howard. And, um, you know, just the encounters that you are uncovering, the stories are just fascinating. And, you know, it ties in so much with the sorts of um, experiences that I'm speaking to people about and the others. And it just seems to me that, okay, they might be, you know, different in their descriptions, but these, you know, encounters with the paranormal and the supernatural, these otherworldly beings, as it were, there's something that ties them all together. Without a doubt, there's a, there's a, 
we might not know what it is, but there's a common thread that runs through all genres of unexplained phenomena, should we say, and and it's there. I mean, a lot of researchers, I, I would say in years gone by, maybe not so much now, I think it's, I think they're starting to realise this now, but maybe uh, in the past, you're sort of true, I don't know, died in the wool, nuts and bolts, flying saucer man would not have entertained the, the possibility that spheres of light could be associated, light forms or, or, or cryptids. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe part of thinking was that some researchers would want to say, well, they're obviously travelling in these things. And and I'm, without n- any knowledge of what eg- exactly is happening, I don't think any of us could say that. What we've got to say is what you've just said, Joe, there's a connection, there's a common thread, there's, there's some kind of symbiotic relationship that, that runs throughout it all. There's some ingredients that they all need and they're all sharing. and They might not even be aware of each other. You know, it's, it's, it's difficult because we know that there's loads of armchair experts out there who'll be saying, no, I know what's happening. But if you did, and, and if you're <laughs> listening to me now, if you did, you'd, you'd put in the answers out there and everybody would be listening to you. But uh, we, we, we simply don't know. Uh, all we can establish really is that there is a reality to this, be it UFO related, cryptid related, the Fae. Yeah. Any 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 aspect of the phenomena, you're going to get your charlatans. You're going to get people who are who've maybe had an experience actually, but they've just embellished that experience. But they but but there's people out there, Joe, that that are really experiencing this that that sort of up close and personal, and and they're the people that we want to be speaking to. Exactly. And this is what comes across in, you know, the encounters that you've shared in your books again and again. It's sometimes it's these chance meetings, like you might be in the pub, you've you've perhaps given up on meeting someone that will talk to you about a certain thing. And then suddenly you bump into someone and they might know someone who, who, you know, could talk to you. And it it works like that, doesn't it? And, you know, and you end up speaking to these very, very ordinary people who have experienced extraordinary experiences in their lives. Yeah, the bulk of them are just like, like myself and you and everyone else. And I mean, even the people that have got some kind of rank or notability, they, they're still only experiencing same thing mm. and or, or similar things. And it, it is, it's fabulous, but it's like a snowball. It, it kind of, I think years ago, you know, when I was working 24 seven as a, as a joiner on building sites, uh, obviously this interest was just as strong, but you have mm. to forge a living, don't you? You have to sort of provide for your family a, a little bit more. So I wanted these reports. I craved this information. I loved it if somebody had got some account that were interesting. But what it's got to stage now where there's that much, uh, I can't actually keep keep up with it. You know, yeah. it's, I, I'm making folders and and write and politely getting back to people and saying, you know, I, I might be a few weeks, but please don't think I'm ignoring you because it's it's just that hectic. I, I, it were great to sort of step back after I'd written the last truth proof book and say, that's it with books for a while. It's not it with books, but just for a while. And I'm now I'm going to concentrate on, on the witnesses, gathering more information, going to these places. I mean, Friday, we, we spent the night at a place called Jugger Howe, which is on the North Yorkshire Moors. And it overlooks the forests of Langdale and Broxer and, uh, the, mm. it, it absolutely fabulous location. You're looking down into deep ravines that are ancient woodland and forest, you know, oak trees, not just pine trees and all sorts of fauna down there. And these are the places where these things, that, if we talked about the cryptids, yeah. have been seen. 
what what are they? I don't know. Are they living and breathing? My my gut feeling is they probably are, but not in the way that we'd perceive a mammal to be living and breathing. These things are transient. They're in and out of our existence. Uh, otherwise, they'd be seen more frequently than what they are. It's just mm. almost like a lottery if you see one. Welcome to the Alchemy of Natural Healing. I'm your host, Laurel Dewey. True healing is an alchemical process, meaning it must transform you on all levels, body, mind, and spirit. What affects one affects all three. True healing is one of the hardest journeys you'll ever travel, but it's one of the most rewarding and fulfilling when you get to meet yourself for the first time. If you're ready to take that journey, let's get started. Gosh, you know, there's so much to talk about that. I I wanted to um, speak to you about because some of the some of the encounters that you shared in your books uh, are Fey encounters, which is really interesting. Um, and there are a couple of really incredible um, werewolf encounters as well, which we must get to. But first, I just wondered if you could, you know, tell us how you got into this. So you met, mentioned that you've always had an interest. How did how did this begin? Well, I would have thought, uh, we can't say an exact age, but I'm, I'm thinking it's from about, well, from early childhood, uh, probably I'm, I'm 59 now, 1962, 1970, sorry, 1967, I think, my, was the first time anything happened, and I remember my dad waking me up. Uh, we lived in a little village, Old Denaby. People have heard me repeat this story, but, you know, we looked over onto some marshland and pasture, and the village of... Uh, sorry, the town of Mexper in the distance, about a mile away. The big Mexper power station, the big cooling towers to the right. And it was just like a strip of street lights, terraced houses. But my dad woke me up to show me this sphere of light. And it was about three quarters away up one of the cooling towers and off it. It's hard to say from that distance how far off it. It could have been off it 50 feet. It might have been 10 feet. I were only a little boy, but I were looking at it through our eye-powered binoculars. Uh, the ex-naval binoculars that my dad had and we watched it and we slowly watched we watched this thing slowly travel along the rooftops at Mexborough and he left me about halfway through I don't know why maybe he went outside to have a look at it I don't know I, I was in bed you know and uh, I watched it then it went traveled full distance of Mexborough but what's interesting I wrote about that in in the night people as one of the first things that had stuck in my mind as an unexplained phenomena and just recently there's a guy contacted me from Cunnisborough if anybody's not familiar with area it's probably about two miles from where this was seen mm. and said you need to get to the archive in Mexborough because they've got a report of a UFO scene at side of the cooling towers at Mexborough power station oh my goodness. In, in, yeah in 1967 well I haven't got the report it's about 100 100 miles from where I'm living now so but I'm gonna have a rundown and see if I can get this get into microfilm and see if I can get this report doesn't make what I'm saying true but it's interesting and it Very probably interesting. Dates, it's probably what I saw and it probably dates it which is I don't know it's, a, it's it's fascinating really you know and so that bit first time and then after that and all I saw was a sphere of light lemony white colored light that looked like it were turning I think it was like within itself just it was just a ball of a large ball of energy, I must say, because when you compare it to the rooftops that it were traveling along top of, 
probably a quarter of the size of a rooftop in, in width. You know, I don't know about depth. It's mm. perfect circle. So that was it. And then after that, you know, over a period of from then, whatever age I was, say five, till 14, 13, 14, 15, I had what you would call encounters. And it's a difficult one because at one time I wouldn't even speak about it, not because I was frightened to speak about it, because it's hard to get your head around that you've seen beings that, that you don't know how they've got into your room. You don't know... I've no concept of, of, of and there's, there's not a start or an end to any of the sightings or experiences. There's, they're just experiences, waking up and seeing them, being aware that they were there, mm. laying there for hours and hours and hours waiting for these things to come after an encounter because they were always frightening. And you'd wait, you might wait weeks, you might wait months. I've no idea because at that age, you don't keep a diary. And I was, I've got to admit, I was pretty useless at writing or anything all the way through school. So it's not always been there within me. And uh, it was almost like you were in the moment and it had happened before you realised it were, it were happening. It was yeah. a strange sensation. It's hard to explain. And then it stopped. It stopped till literally moving to this property I'm sat in now in between 1993 and 94. Oh, and it started goodness. immediately. And I don't mean it started within six months of moving in it's it began immediately uh it, and sometimes you think to yourself not just my life everybody's life is it all planned is there a reason for this because it literally did start up when I kept coming to this property getting it habitable for M Mary my wife and, and our four girls because it, it it were in a right state to be honest with you and uh, we had to I had to get hot running water on and get things working properly this huge house and, I, and it literally started in, within within a few days of me coming up with my eldest daughter Sarah who would be about nine or ten and in between work I was doing this on a Friday till Sunday and uh, yeah that one of the nights first couple of days it happened again and uh, that that happened then from 1994 to 1998 where luckily thanks to Whitley Strieber advising me to get my uh, doctor's medical records and everything else we can see a pattern we can see a date when it when it were all happening and there's reams of paperwork chain from doctors saying words to the effect not the words to the effect and one of them actually does say this we are perplexed by the punch hole lesions that pe keep appearing in this man's body oh my goodness every three right. to six months and mm. you know once again, people, anyone listening to this, have I got any proof that the what I'm saying is true? I've got proof of the lesions. I've got scars. I've got medical records that prove that's been said. Mm. Well, you're always going to get people and say, well, yeah, but did you do it to yourself? Or do, do you know what I mean? Mm. It's, it's iffy. We're in a no-win situation. Yourself, Joe, and everybody else with an interest in this subject. Yeah. It is a no-win situation because what you're talking about cannot be proved. Oh, you yeah. know you know you if you if you're genuine and bona fide and you've had that experience then you know in your heart that it's real but, right. but you still can't beat the skeptically minded person who just laughs at you and says show me proof no. and, and, and and i don't engage with that yeah i mean i watched i don't know if anybody's seen it um, i know the guy i don't know him well but there were a guy on uh, a radio or a tv show a few just last week i think uh, james whale interviewed him 
and people need to watch it because uh, the guy, I think there's now on YouTube, it says uh, James Whale clashes with UFO enthusiast or, or expert or something worse to that effect. Yeah. And they end up, he ends up shouting and bawling at him, does the <sighs> UFO guy. Uh, it's there to see. And uh, I felt a bit sorry for him, to be honest with you, but uh, I don't know. Outrageous mm. claims, as they say sort of need need the proof but in this in in our in our case we a lot of time we can't prove what we're talking about no but i think that the important thing is that we're sharing these with each other because without a doubt without without a doubt yeah. though, and and it's it's i think i believe it's proof on mass i believe there is proof yeah. there by sheer virtue of the fact so i don't want to put a downer on people listening saying well while we're listening to this guy he says there's no proof of anything there is proof obviously and my, I've got my own proof. And if we can, if we can couple that and everyone else's genuine accounts together, who are all yeah. independent to one another from from decades and decades of, of sightings and experiences, then that has to stand for something because not everybody is being deceitful. Mm, that's it. And um, so, just just going back to your own experiences, then, what did you? What sort of beings did you see uh, as a child? If you're happy to talk about that, don't yeah, worry well, if you're not. First of, I think the first time we had there were cows in field at back of us, Frisian cows, mm. and uh, you you look. I apologise because I know I go around trees when I'm painting a picture for people, but I think it's important to know that because they were they were integral, and I was laid in the in bed in the back bedroom. It, early hours at morning I can only assume because it were dark and back back then in 1960s it was it if you hadn't got a lot of money cheap and colorful curtains were made of fiberglass and my mum had bought these you wouldn't get away with it now would you fiberglass curtains mm. my mum had bought these like <laughs> um, silvery colored curtains that were in my room mm. and I remember waking up in the night and I, this is another thing that with these encounters I can't get my head around because when I go to bed tonight, the room's black. Yeah, I could mm. see the curtains. Yeah, I couldn't see a light coming from anywhere. And I weren't aware of a light, but yeah, I could see the curtains. You, yeah. you, do you know? So I could see what I, I perceived were cow's eyes in the curtains. And yeah. I'm looking at them. And that's the only thing as a little boy I could relate to something yeah. big and black and, and that kind of size. And they were sort of moving forwards and backwards and then they came out at curtains and they were beings they, and they were stood round well not stood round because bed my mum all were moving it about and sometimes it'd be at side at wall sometimes it'd be offset but they were around my bed looking at me I was terrified I don't know what happened and I remember I couldn't I couldn't scream but I, I, I was screaming but I couldn't make a sound and these things were looking at me. I mean, how crazy, what a, what a thing to be, to be, to be saying mm. on a, <laughs> on a Monday morning at, uh, well, whatever time, you know, what a crazy thing to be saying. And uh, these, they were there and that's, that's basically, uh, they were all cameos of events. And then there'd be other times when you'd, you'd, you'd suddenly become aware that they were there, but something was happening, some kind of, procedure I can imagine I can only yeah. imagine because it felt like as a as anybody listening to this ever such you everybody will have done sort of laid on their arm and it goes dead and mm. if it's in if it's in middle at night and you realize your arm's gone numb if you're very still and quiet you can actually sort of feel it coming back to life mm. well it, that's the feeling that I got all over my body 
everywhere and I, I can't say what were happening but they were there do you know what I mean and, yeah. and, and they were the same things that's been there through childhood that I saw through into the 1990s 93 stroke 4 to 98 and uh, I mean when they did that to my back in 1998 and left them two big holes and one small hole in my back they were telling me in my head that it were a bed spring turning in my back just yeah. don't and and yeah you know there's no bed springs protruding in our in bed and and I think I must have passed out with pain and I'd forgot about it the next morning until I sat on edge at bed and my wife Mary said Paul says I don't believe it says you've got three holes in your back oh my goodness. and then suddenly yeah. I, I could re I remembered what had happened yeah and uh you know no there's I think they leave traces of uh we won't say magic, but traces of the strangeness around the places that they've been, because this house now has been converted into three flats. I've done it, but there's things happened in the flats. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't make a point of saying anything to tenants. There's nothing, I wouldn't want to frighten anybody. But over years, as they've been done like, yeah, I don't know, gosh, going on 15 years, mm. over years, people have come to me and said, well, one said, is this house haunted? And I, I asked them why. And then they said that somebody sat on the bed talking to them in the night. Mm -hmm. and, that, and then they lost all recollection of the conversation, but they felt the physical weight of some, the bed. They're all independent. They're not little, without sounding horrible to people, they're not grotty bed sits. They're all really, yeah. flat, you know, all, they've all got their own locks on the doors, everything. And there's various other things happened, especially with top tenant who's in top flat now. And he talks about seeing dark shapes of people walking through his room and all sorts of things. And is that what the shapes looked like to you? Were they people or were they something else? They were, they, was, they were the shape. If, if we could say the shape of people, but no. Has anybody seen the plasticine man morph? Yeah. And they were like that, what I okay. saw. But, but they were, they were, they were elephant coloured, elephant skin coloured, and, and they'd got slightly larger heads. And that's something else yeah. I've thought about when people talk about aliens having large heads. Mm. I'm not I'm not saying I know this, but perhaps they haven't got large heads. Perhaps it's because the, their anatomy, their physical makeup, narrow clavicles and, and thin arms just make it look like their heads are unusually large. You know, uh, perhaps they're no bigger than ours. I don't know. <laughs> did, did, you, did you sense a... Uh, you know, what kind of sense did you get from them? Was it one of, you know, did they come to do harm or did they it come to help? What was your... Childhood, it was fear. It was fear. It was pure fear. They, they, whatever they were doing. Uh, once again, I wish I'd got an answer for this, but mm. what, uh, my gut feeling is that they wanted to, cre they wanted to create terror, fear mm. in me. Oh, that's really and, and they managed yeah. it <laughs> every time. Yeah. They managed it. And, uh, and it was pure fear. And, I think anything, let's face it, anything that that sneaks up, should we say, or, or wants to appear in the night and don't want to make itself seen. Mm. I mean, we only have to look at predatory animals. They don't let you know they're coming, do they? No. they it, 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 they're just upon their prey and it, it's over and done with. I think anything that goes about its business in a deceitful, sneaky manner yeah. is not, not wholesome. It's not good. And I've never ever had a good experience with these things, and I, and I, I wouldn't I wouldn't knock anybody that said that they have. Or th th here's where I kind of 
not argue, but would differentiate with with other researchers. Yeah. Because, you know, you've got some researchers who believe that all of this is love and light and beautiful. I believe that's out there. But what I'd like these other researchers to do is acknowledge that it's not all that. It's not all. No, I yeah. mean, I, I, I've spoken to people who have had really, really terrifying experiences with kind of goblin-like creatures who are interested often in children, in fact. Yeah. Um, and uh, they are horrible. You can, you, you know, they've, they've terrified these kids. They've done horrible, you know, scary sort of motions towards them. Well, and, you know, um, you know, I'm sorry for cutting across you. but That's you right. Uh, when I wrote Night People, I, I tried to collect as many accounts. I'd been writing every little instance that had happened in this book that I'd had mm. for years and years. But uh, you you brought some it up. And if anybody's read Night People, don't quote me on a year because I cannot remember off the top of my head. But it's in this house and it's in the... It's, oh, well, it's got to have been, I would have thought, 2014, 15. Okay. And I were laid in in bed during the night. Mary were in bed, but she didn't wake up. And I woke up in the night. This is the weird thing. What You shouldn't be able to see these things. <laughs> Many and, of us do. <laughs> and it was, yeah, but what I mean is there shouldn't be enough light to see what you saw. Oh, I see. So, right. and, and it's, it's, there's a little goblin-like thing, because I know I said okay. about what I saw, but that's another thought. It was stood on my chest. Right. And, and I think I shocked it because it... I don't think it wanted to be seen mm. and I don't think it realised I were looking at it and it looked at me and sort of there were a look of like, ah, mm. and it, it, were, it were furious that it had been seen mm. and it literally opened its mouth and, and nobody can see it gesture I'm doing, but it went ah, and showed me a mouthful oh. of teeth and disappeared. Horrible. That oh, was frightening. Gosh. And that, that, was, that, that was blue. It was blue coloured. Right. And uh, so that's the only thing I've ever seen like that. Yeah. I'm not going to pretend, oh, you have seen this thing loads of times. One and only time I've ever seen anything like that. Uh, the other time, everything else were just about the same, uh, you know, same kind of shape, sometimes a little bit smaller, sometimes like, I don't know, three foot tall and a couple that have been about five foot tall. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I mean... But more the grey sound, it, the grey sort of... Um, yeah. Yeah, I would Sounded. say so. Yeah, but yeah. You, saying that though, uh, gosh, just I wish I had an answer. I just haven't. Yeah, this is the thing. This is the thing. And I, I was reading um, in Truth Proof, the original Truth Proof book, um, your experience in two thousand and thirteen. Now that is really interesting. This is the experience with the stranger. Can yeah. you can you do, can you tell us that story, please? Because I, I find it absolutely about the guy uh, yeah, the, on the street with the bike. Thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, I think I believe. It, well, I know it was late two thousand and fourteen, yeah. and um, it was a really bright sunny day, and me and phones were quite useless mobile phones, and I get four daughters. They've all left home now, but I get there hand me down. So Jess had given me a phone, and I wanted to get it unlocked. So I decided to go to this shop round corner, main promenade that would do it. Me and Mary walked out of our door, looking down street, I would say about 200 foot away. It fans out the street into a, like a big fan. And there's a guy at the other side of the street, about two or 300 foot away, lent on wall with his jeans on and no shirt, looking at a paper. We had an old, very old green 
bike, like treacle tin colour green bike, the old type that you'd seen, the old bread adverts. Mm. And he looked unusual, I must admit, but I didn't notice that at first. He shout, as soon as I come out of the door, he shouted over to me. And, he, and he, I knew what he was shouting, but I didn't register. He was shouting, you're bringing down the light, you've got to stop bringing down the light, you know what you're doing. But I'm not thinking anything unusual at this point, apart from, mm. God, it's a cold day and he's got no shirt on, even though it's bright and sunny. So it's, it's, it's November, early December, or it, it's, or it is December. I'm not certain at date. Yeah, I think November 13, I'd read right. here, yeah. yeah. So, so he, uh, he's shouting these things at me and I'm looking at his body and I'm thinking, because I'd, prior to this, I've probably never said on a podcast, but I've, I've, always, I've always trained weight on weights from being about 16. Yeah. And, and entered bodybuilding competitions years and years ago. Probably the first time I've ever said this on a podcast, but I have. <laughs> and, and, but not that it's any bearing on anything, but, you know, uh, I think my biggest drawback was, of, not failure, is the fact that I, I weren't willing to take half of the drugs that these people wanted yeah. to take. And I, I really weren't. Uh, but it, but that anyway that aside, you, you get an, an eye for for a, a good physique. Mm-hmm. And what what were interesting was that there were no vascularity in his physique really, just the, the, like the thick vein going down the side of his bicep and that. But for somebody so lean, mm-hmm. so so muscular, you'd have expected more kind of separation in his muscles and that. And he just looked like spam. He looked like an action man, which were odd. So yeah. any road. I've dwelled too long on that. I go, I go to the shop, get it unlocked, this phone. And in the meantime as well, the barber's shop, which faces up the street, they were observing this man. Mm-hmm. So John, John Butterfield, they call the guy, still there now. So I come back and he's at other side at road. He's at our side at road now. Now, he must have disturbed me that much that I was considering going around other way mm-hmm. to avoid encountering him. So that were odd for me. Any road, I'm coming back down. I says to Mary, I said, oh, God, that bloke's there, look. She said, oh, I said, him, that, him with bald head and his shirt off. Now he'd got a tight-fitting dark brown jumper on, a crew neck jumper. He'd got full wraparound sunglasses, but I couldn't see him at the time. So as I'm approaching, he literally just turned round and looked at me. And he went, you know what you're doing. You're causing lots of trouble. You're bringing down the light. I said, excuse me. I says, what are you talking about? And then... Everything I said to him, he kind of twisted every word I had, I, I had to say. I couldn't beat him. Mm-hmm. We are sounding. <laughs> you don't need to beat somebody with words, but you like to think that you can, you can, you can stay on track with a conversation. And whatever I said, he turned round and and made it the opposite of what I said. But the main theme was that I was causing lots of trouble. I was bringing down the light. I knew what I was doing. I had to stop. And. I felt trapped. I felt like captured. I don't know why, because normally I'd have just walked off and mm. uh, yeah. And all the time they're watching at the barber's shop. So any road, we've just tur- we've turned the corner and I'd, and he, he he just put his hand out and touched Mary's shoulder and then took it away really quick. And I'm looking at him and I can't see his eyes because he's got these wraparound sunglasses on. He's now got this jumper on and he's got this almost egg shaped head. I don't mean alien shaped either people, but it would, you know, you, you would, egg shaped and Mm -hmm. this funny color to his skin almost like like spam Mm. and he goes i'm not talking about her i'm talking about you you know what and and there were this exchange of thoughts i'm sure of it and i don't mean i had any mind speak but he he were almost predicting yeah how far can i push this before this man as in me smacks him in the nose 
I'll be honest with you, because as soon as he touched Mary on the shoulder, he moved his hand straight away because my hand, my gut reaction was to grab his wrist and pull it away. And then that would have been conflict. Yeah. And I'm, I'm not into conflict, people. So please don't think that. But I'm not really going to let somebody take advantage either. So he said, I'm not interested in her. It's you. You know what you're doing. You're causing trouble. So I, I said, I've heard enough of this. And I started walking away. But then just as I'm walking away, I said, where are you from? And he said, Rickle. Well, I never even gave it a second thought. We, we, we got home, we looked at the CCTV, because we have CCTV, and he'd gone when we got, well, you know, we, when we got, and it, you, see, everybody knows, I think, that your CCTV, it, it's useful, but it, it's not going to look two or three hundred foot down the street and see anything with detail. Mm-hmm. So anyway, a few weeks later, and this wasn't the man, but a man went missing, because we, we, we discussed yeah. where we thought you were from. You know, we we, we discussed, so where did he say we're from? We couldn't, we couldn't quite get it in his heads. We couldn't remember. And uh, a few weeks later, a man went missing at Bempton. And this is probably just coincidence, people. But it said he was from Rickle, mm. which is a little village in North Yorkshire. Now, how, how, how coincidental is that? It definitely wasn't this man, by the way, either. No, it definitely yeah. wasn't him. But I found that fascinating. Though one more thing that I didn't pick up on. As, as he's having this conversation with me, this one-sided conversation, because I couldn't beat him. No, I, I, there's no way I could match what he was saying to me because every time I said something, he just turned what I'd said on its head. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, I hadn't got an answer for him. But Mary were looking at his bike over the other side of the road. And, it, and when, when, when we got in, she said he had no brakes. Yeah. It's 45 miles away, Rickle. She said it didn't have any brakes on handlebars, uh, which... <laughs> Odd in itself, but yeah, a strange story. And yeah. we, we sort of me and Chris Turner did a, a documentary uh, called "Bringing Down the Light," and that's kind of used title from that and title "Truth Proof Three, Three Bringing Down the Light." <clears throat> you know, because that's what that guy was saying, and I, I, I can't work it out, Joe. No, you know, it's an odd one, but also I know that you'd written that. Um, you know, not only did that man from Rickle go missing, but hadn't eleven. 11 men gone missing in that area between 2004 to 2014 because that was something you were investigating as well wasn't it uh, yeah I looked into him in truth proof one and he's yeah. you know I, I think there's some researchers out there you know that and, and they've probably got good intentions but they treat it almost as though it's entertainment mm. you know you know I think I said at starter when we began talking let's see if we can talk about things that are and entertain uh, the listeners but in a way entertainment I mean that's maybe not the word because when you're talking about disappearances and vanishing we've got to be mindful of the fact that it's somebody's husband it's somebody's son it's somebody's daughter you know and we have to treat that with ultimate respect so I've written about him in a book of unexplained phenomena but at no point have I said that oh I think this man or this lady has been involved in some kind of UFO abduction, because I don't think it would be fair. Uh, all I've done is highlight the fact that they've gone missing yeah. in a location that's renowned for unexplained phenomena. This is it. This you, is do you it. know, yeah. three went missing. One went, I, I haven't got the exact dates in, but one went in December 2013. And another one went less than a month later in January uh, uh 2014 and then another one went but basically it added up to four men vanished and i don't mean they've ever been found we'll say three men vanished from around the area of close to bempton two very close two within 
half a mile of each other, one within 12 to 15 miles and another one 29 miles away, all mm. on coast, vanished within yeah. 38 days. Yeah. And, you know, and I put freedom information requests in and I've asked, I've not got, I've not got the answers back because everything's so closed down now as regards giving mm. out information. And rightly so in some instances, but I think these people, I think they deserve an answer. They deserve some kind of uh, investigation that's a bit more thorough than what's being given to them. And I don't mean it's got to end in unexplained phenomena. You know, it, it could be something totally opposite to what we're looking into, but it still deserves a lot of attention when you break it down like that and you look at, you know, four, four people in 38 days mm. on the same stretch of coastline. And, you know, it's, yeah. it, and that's just four. You know, the others, uh, there were a walker in 2004. These, we've got to be mindful of the fact of everything. You know, I mean, this, this unfortunate man could have fell and, and obviously been claimed by the sea. Mm. Uh, but he, he went walking and hiking for the day, November the 4th, 2004, it was, I remember. And uh, he took his sandwiches and his walking stick and all his, all his, his gear, parked at the car park at North Landing, Never been seen since. All his all his gears inside car, sandwiches and everything. Never even got to to go for his walk. Uh, you know, it's it's so strange. And then in between all that, Joe, there are people that have taken their own lives. Mm. Uh, you know, you know, it's tragedies where people have suffered from depression, or I don't know, they've had some kind of crisis where they felt that they needed to end their own life. Yeah. And usually, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even look into those cases because that's established. The people I've looked in, looked at, don't seem to have had any history of depression or or trauma within their lives. Although I don't suppose I know everything, but it's not being reported as such. And the ones that have taken their lives up on those cliff tops have usually been found mm. some time later because the currents. Yes. Take, take, take the bodies and and they're usually found sometime later but none of these people that i've looked into have ever been found it, you know it's, it's tragic really and i hope that's the, i hope i don't have to look at anymore <laughs> you know it's yeah uh, well there just seems to be so much activity um around there bempton and flamborough and um of course they're near raf bases as well which makes it interesting but i also wanted to talk to you about um these werewolf sightings now this one particular one i'm thinking of is the broxa werewolf that um you've you've spoken about before and that I've been reading about because you actually went down there didn't you and met and yeah, met well, the, the three the, men who, yeah, who had that experience well met two of them uh you know that one of them won't wouldn't yeah, be on camera right. wouldn't 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 be interviewed but uh, when I say on camera people I don't want everybody that I speak to or anybody that wants to give me their experience stroke encounter don't think that i need you on film it's just that we're doing a documentary called wolflands and mm. we, we've we'd asked these witnesses if they'd if they'd contribute and they have two of them have done and yeah it, it's incredible we spent nights and nights in the forest with them since it were in 2018 i think it was august mm -hmm. that uh, jim who uh, we won't say leader but he, he was the guy who would find places for himself Steve and the other witness, who we'll just call witness C, mm -hmm. uh, to go. And they used to love it. I mean, all hard-working men, and they'd, 
two or three times a year, they'd go to some remote place, not necessarily in North, North or East Yorkshire, and they'd do a bit of fishing and set the camping gear up and take food and just enjoy it. And on this particular occasion, Jimmy found a place in, in, North, in a forest in North Yorkshire, close to Broxer Forest. And they arrived quite late and they descended this ravine, which is seven to 800 foot. Mm. It's very steep. You don't need ropes, but it's very steep. Honestly, it's really steep. And it's got pine trees going all the way down it to the bottom. And when they got to the bottom, it was just about dark. No interest in unexplained phenomena. None whatsoever. None of them. They like fishing. They don't like to get drunk, but they'll sit and have a few beers and have some, you know, burgers and sausage or whatever they're doing on the, on a fire when they've lit a fire. And that's their that's their weekend that they do two or three times a year. And witness C suddenly started saying, "We have to go. I don't like it. We've been watched. Never done it before. Mm-hmm. Totally out of character." And they look at each other and think, well, we can't get out now. It's just took us over an hour to get down into this ravine in semi-daylight. And now it's dark. In some places, they went down on the bottoms because it's so steep. You know, you have to just shuffle down. So so it's really steep. I mean, we did, we, first time we met him with Les Drake, who was helping me film and make Wolflands on way out, Les collapsed. We thought we were going to have to get an ambulance. It took us ages to bring him round Mm -hmm. because he's just not used to that kind of hard work as regards coming out of an 800 foot ravine, uh, you know, and give him full credit, he's 66 year old, you know what I mean? He's, yeah. uh, uh, you know, that's not, no disrespect to Les. So this goes on for a while and they're trying to calm him down. And then in the distance, probably about 30 to 40 feet away, a huge pair of amber eyes lit up in the darkness, self-illuminating, no torch on them. Mm. Just, and the, it, Jim said they were human shape. Well, Steve did as well but they were huge. And he held his fists out and said, they were as big as your fists. He said, they were really big eyes. And now he's really getting frightened. And they believe if it wasn't for him and them having to pour their attention onto him, they would have been even more frightened than they were because they thought he was going to run off into darkness. They now think the idea of this thing was to split them up. Mm. So they're watching and Jim can't stand. This went on for about an hour and Jim said, I'd had enough in end. He said, and I stood up. And I took a few paces towards whatever it was. And I can only see it about three foot off ground, these eyes. And made a few hissing and shooing sounds. Said, and then I turned back to Steve and, and, and other guy. He said, because he disappeared. I need to add that, but he disappeared when he made these noises. So I turned around and said, we're all right now, it's gone. He said, but the look on their faces were just absolute sheer horror. He said, and I, I, I knew something really bad had happened he says and when I turned back and there's a bit of backlight from the moon not a full moon but there's a bit of backlight he says this thing now from being three foot off ground these eyes were now seven foot in air mm-hmm. and I'm looking at this thing that's just like it stepped from an horror film he says I've just never seen out like it a terrifying sight and huge stupidly long ears in Steve's words you know he said if you'd have asked me to draw a werewolf I wouldn't have drawn that he said I just wouldn't he said he he said it just his ears looked ridiculous. They were that pointed and long. Yeah. And and it turned, I think he said it turned to the right several times, and they could see this exaggerated muzzle. And he said they're talking about like wily coyote. Yeah. He said, I've never seen out like it. He said, and it were we thought it were growling at us, but it wasn't. We realized after a, a, an hour it, it, it were breathing. And it's just stood in like a 
stooped forward position like an American linebacker, looking at him, terrifying him, glowering at him. And they're absolutely beside themselves. Stephen N said, I couldn't even look at it. I daren't even look at it. He said, I just wanted it to be over. And he meant death. He meant I, he wanted it to end it. Yeah. And it watched them. There's a there's a bit of time discrepancy. It's interesting this because oh gosh, it, I hadn't picked up on that. Well, well, you see, I, I I probably didn't even write about it. I might have done, but Steve said it watched them till till first light. Yeah. Bear in mind when you sat when you're in a forest, mm -hmm. it, it, even though you you've got tree canopy and that you you be and you sat all night, you become aware when daylight breaks through. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Oh, you do. So yeah. what so what people perceive as first light when they sat watching Emmerdale Farm and Coronation Street and they went, oh, rubbed their eyes at eight o'clock is not the same as four or five o'clock in the morning, do you see? Mm. So they, yeah, yeah, they'd yeah. watch this when they say all night, they might've watched it from 11 to 12 o'clock till three to four in the morning. But Jimmy only thought from it standing up to, to, to when it disappeared, it were only like a couple of hours. But he realizes it had to be longer, but he doesn't know why he thinks it were only that, because mm -hmm. it did it only disappeared at first light. They realized it had gone because they were huddled together, didn't look at it. They could see it in peripheral, they could see its eyes glowing. Yeah. And then then they realized it had gone. They mm -hmm. gathered the things and got out at forest. What's interesting is that witness C, as the leaving forest said, it's still here, still yeah. watching us. It, it, it's still watching us, it's still here. And then they got to a certain point in forest and he says, we're all right now, it's gone. And uh, during the experience, when it first appeared, he told those two, it doesn't want you here. It wants you to leave. It wants you to leave, Jim. And you, Steve, it don't want you here. So, which implies, and I've not got to the bottom of this, but it implies there was some form of communication. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. It, and it were definitely focused on witness C. It, yeah, I wanted him. Yeah, I mean, I've taken away from this because you know people. I've not. I didn't. I didn't go into this cryptid thing thinking there were any truth to it other than things from horror films. You know, it were only writing that first truth proof book that somebody contacted me about the Flixton werewolf. Right. And yeah. I kind of ignored it, you know, because I, I, I thought, well, I'm into the UFOs and I'll, because of I've, I've seen things and. I, were a bit, I suppose a bit a bit like the people I'm talking about who need to jump out of the box and, uh, and, and, and accept the fact that other things are happening and not just your particular focus of interest. Yeah. And uh, then I got another report from Flixton and I sort of started looking mm. into it. And now it's as fascinating. I've got to admit, it's as fascinating as everything else. Spoken to Native American Indians, you know, elders and people who talk about the skinwalkers and their views on these things. And, you know, it's all cultures all over the world. You, you, you know, there's, there's sort of dog headed people, for want of a better word, uh, that are depicted throughout time and and throughout folklore in this country you know you you've got the they don't talk about them being bipedal actually on eastern north yorkshire coast they talk about these huge phantom hounds with glowing amber and glowing red eyes so i think we're looking at the same things uh but uh, it's yeah all over the world. 
that that Flickstone one. So this is um, you're talking about the one that the uh, man contacted you about when he was eleven year old boy. Yeah, that's uh, he and his friend. Could you yeah? Could you tell us about that one? That was a it was very interesting as well. Yeah, well, and, and these and these I should say, many of these ones that we'll talk about because with the Hack, Hackness Broxer uh, Wolf as well in Cropton Forest, burial mounds and standing stones that being involved and the Fay experiences as well but we'll get to those but uh it's it's almost as though the ancient people knew that the land was special i don't mean because of these apparitions or these sightings of these uh werewolf stroke dog-headed men i don't i I just i think they knew other things happened light phenomena i mean imagine in ancient times if you would have seen some weird spheres of light that are glowing and sparkling golds and blues and reds and you, you would have just maybe just thought, wow, this is just incredible. No TVs in them days and no special effects, you know, so that that, that would have been the highlight of somebody's life, seeing that, and let's stamp this piece of earth with something of our importance, our burial mounds. Let's let's leave our our, our most re- revered people here. Mm-hmm. But Flixton, yeah, they, they, once again, two young boys, I think it was 1948, playing mm-hmm. around a burial mound late, a very late summer evening. Uh, burials called, burial mounds called Sharp Howe. It's a Barrow Cemetery at the top of Staxton Wold, and you can see the old RAF base in the distance. And it's, and let me think, yeah, RAF base would have been there then as well because it's the oldest operational RAF base in the world. So, there's, I think there's uh, probably in, in sight now. There'll be five burial mounds. So mm. they're up around these burial mounds and there's a tree growing out at the side of one of them. There still is today, numerous thick trees. Suddenly this thing's just sat with its back to a tree in the crouch position, looking at something in its hands and its head's down. Basically they've described a man covered in fur with a dog's head. And he said it slowly just lifted its head and looked at them and they turned and ran. Well, they both, they were both, able to tell the story right up until you know a few years ago one of them passed away mm-hmm. and he stuck with them all this time so it's not it's not a predator it's not something there's just there's too many there's too many reasons why they're not here i mean even if we consider that the landmass in in america and the the forests in alaska and all these places and the appalachian trail and all these could maybe hide and support these kind of things Mm. again these reports on clifftops at bempton there's no there's just not here this there's something there's something more than a normal flesh and blood animal there are the the things that they do the 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 instances of fear that they can instill in people the instances Mm. of almost communication without speaking that people are getting from these things uh, the, the, and, you know, in America, you know, with the gun laws, obviously mm-hmm. they're allowed to hunt and they've got high velocity weapons. And they're talking about, uh, you know, having th- these things in their sights and shooting them, as they say, centre mass and it having no effect. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, they're not. Yeah. Yeah. These same hunters will still say, oh, I believe they're animals, though, even though they've just shot it with a bullet that will drop an elk or a, or a, or a moose. And, you know, they're contradicting themselves. We've got to, simply because it don't fit with their narrative. It's not going to fit with their mindset if they don't believe that anything that I'm talking about and other people are talking about could be reality. 
This is it. It seems like, I mean, they're, they're just not going to be able to get their heads around that and that that's that's fine, you know, and people people come to these um, recognitions and truths in their own time. But I mean, it does seem that they're not entirely of this physical world, that they, you know, have some kind of lighter um, um, vibration to to them that you know that they are able to move between these worlds in some way i just just going back to the the one in um in the woods there that you described with the three men um did was there any scent was that you know when they heard so they heard the noise of the breathing that they initially thought was growling i asked them if they smelt anything and they didn't i'll tell you what's interesting though joe Mm -hmm. a few years ago i went to flixton wold which is I, i told you that the old guys well, they weren't old. The young boys back in 1940s yeah. claimed to have seen this thing on Staxton Walls. Well, we're only talking about a mile away. Flixton and Staxton had virtually just joined. Yeah. And I went up there. I, I, I don't know the exact year, but I went into a certain part of woodland and my little dog with me. And, and I got three tree knocks right again me. Never heard. I've, I, I've never been a person. We don't went to forest and start knocking on trees. We'd, we'd just go in and camp. And that's what we do. I'm not into making daft noises and doing tree knocks. No disrespect if that's what you do, but it's not for me. But they were right again me and I couldn't account for them because there were only me and little dog there and no wind. And it were almost like we always try to find analogies for these things. And if you picture a two pound lump hammer, what a bricklayer would use, it were like somebody had just hit tree with three times yeah. with this hammer. So I sat down, bought a coffee and just hoped it, put an Olympus recorder on and thought, come on, please do it again. But nothing happened. Yeah. But what's interesting, I don't know, say two or three months later, I took granddaughter in into forest with me, Tegan and uh, we little dog once again and same area. This strikes back to what you were saying. We got the most vile smell of oh. sulfur, rotten eggs. And Ooh. yeah, yeah and literally the same area. It was absolute stench of, mm. of rotten eggs. And we got out of area. We went back, I don't know, probably half an hour, an hour later, because I wanted to see if it was still there and it had gone. So that mm. was that was a strange one. Just mm. just there, you know. Very interesting. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Joshua Cutchin's work, The Brimstone Deceit. No, I'm not. No. Okay. Well, I'll send you a link to a chat that I had with him, but um, he ha- he's written this book, Brimstone Deceit, and it's an absolutely fantastic piece of research about supernatural scents. Uh, yeah. It's an in-depth examination of supernatural scents, otherworldly odors and monstrous miasmas. Now he describes that exact kind of smell that you're talking about. And of course, Josh- Joshua is a um, an expert in Bigfoot, you know, Sasquatch, oh. Bigfoot, whatever you like to, to call it. Um, but this smell is very much associated and of course is the knocking yeah oh yeah without a doubt uh, yeah uh, you know even though we're, what we've got in Flixton is as I've called them in the book the accounts of the Flixton werewolf mm. I'm aware that some of the things that are described are almost Bigfoot related mm. and uh, the, the spittle in stands on the the foundations of the former uh, the former carman spittle at the bottom of Flixton Brow, which in 937 AD were built to protect travellers from wolves. And, oh. and, and the writing goes, an infestation of savage beasts. Now, I went to look at the deeds at the Spittle Inn. I contacted the owners and they'd got their, the deeds at home in a safe. And they let me look at the deeds. And what was interesting was that the lady who 
who owned the, the, the property with her husband, she looked up onto Staxton Wold where, where we could see as we sat talking. And she says, I think there's a Bigfoot up there in them woods. Mm. And, you know, just a strange yeah. thing to say. <laughs> you know, do, do you yeah. know what? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a fascinating place. Yeah. You know? I mean, I found that fascinating, the wording uh, from wolves. Yes. So we know that we, we know wolves would have, there'd have been loads of wolves about in, in 937 AD. But what were the infestation of savage beasts? Because bears would have gone 2,000 to 1,500 years before. So, so apart from wolves, we didn't have an apex predator. So I find it fascinating that, that yeah. yeah that the reference and infestation of savage beasts and what what could they have been and then athelstan it was the king that sort of had all this done the, the then king king athelstan he he said and a portion of land in this vicinity shall be forever known as wolfland okay so interesting yeah well there's so many as you've if you as you've written about in your books there's so many of these place names you look back in uh, history you've got your hundikes which means the, the water watercourse hundikes yeah. around flixton hound dikes um you've got the local burial mound wolf how which means wolf hill you know and all these all these other places got, that really tie in you've got Two miles from Flixton, you've got Hundmanby, which, which yeah. quite literally means people want to re research it, Farmstead of the Houndman. Houndman, yeah, now, amazing. Now, what's fascinating, we, we, we kind of need to keep our feet on the ground. Some scholars, some researchers, should we say, uh, say that it, it's called Farmstead of the Houndman because the king used to keep his hounds there. But, but they, they've got to, they're forced to admit that there's no proof of that. They don't really know. So, so I, I'm not saying that that isn't true, but without any proof of it, and with all this wealth of proof of uh, wealth of proof, anecdotal proof, let me correct myself, where people claim to have seen this bipedal fur-covered creature, yeah, is that why it's called Farmstead of the Houndman? Do you, uh, you know, yeah, that's the the, yeah. the, the 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 arrow that I would throw, and uh, yeah. it's I think it's fascinating. I, you know, and the, the more you go down this rabbit hole, the more fascinating it becomes. It is. And as you say, there's just such, I mean, I'm, I'm the same. I'm, I'm, you know, completely behind with all the people that I need to speak to about their experiences because there are just so many. And, um, you know, there's just so much out there of just ordinary people's extraordinary experiences. Now, I wanted to ask you also about um, the Saxton, Saxton world being. So uh, the elf, how the strange lights that were there and the the little uh, people that were seeing the little men can you tell us about that please well there's light form phenomena being seen around elf howl anybody wanting to visit that burial mound now would probably struggle to know apart from a small i think the plows just about eradicated yeah. most of elf howl which is a shame, a shame. Yeah. but this is this is years ago when i first started writing that first book that uh, a private contractor were working up at a farm at, on, up at Staxton. And because uh, I, I asked, he knows that I'm interested in the light form phenomena, the spheres of light that are seen all, all around. The, the, it's called the Wolds. These places are around the Wolds people. Uh, the Wolds means in ancient times, the Wilds. So, oh. so the, Right, where am I going with it? I asked him if any at farmhands asked if any at farmhands have seen these spheres of light, and he sort of covertly asked these questions. But while they were working up there, and they worked up there several years because they were good at what they were doing, and they were doing uh, pig units. You know, that's what they were building, and all sorts of things. 
He said, one day, he said, because the, these people, some of them have got their own tenanted houses and they've got their own canteen. He says, we're in canteen. And somebody just come running in and said, just seen one, just seen one. He said, and we, everybody went quiet because me and my son were sat in there. Mm -hmm. so, but over a period of months and months, as they got to know these people, it turns out that they were seeing glimpses of little beings. So he said, they're not interested in lights. They've, they've gone well beyond lights, what you're talking about. Yeah. They're, they're actually seeing beings and they're, they're plowing a field and there's nothing in the field, obviously, but apart from soil that they're turning and they'll see legs run past them, just legs. And I don't mean a, a hair, legs. And they'll look and then they can't see anything else or they'll see the shape of a body, small, two or three foot tall. And they're seeing these things. They saw one in farmyard. That's that particular day when they came running in. Turns mm -hmm. out that they'd seen one stood in farmyard. So what they are, Joe, uh, I have no idea. He, he, I mean, he weren't privy to any of that information for months and months and months mm -hmm. until they felt comfortable with these two men. Because when I say it were his son, his son's not his son's not fifteen or anything. You know, he's, he's a, a grown man himself. So yeah. You know, and obviously then you've got the light form phenomena that's seen around the burial oh, mounds. You yeah. know, you've got the famous burial mound at Burton Fleming, Willie Howe. Mm, that's a good one, yeah. Probably one of the most prominent burial mounds in the United Kingdom. If anybody's not familiar with it, you know, do a bit of Googling and you'll find that, I don't know how many years ago now, hundreds of years ago, William of Newborough sort of chronicled a story about a man who passed the Howe in the dead of night on his horse and there's a big hole in the side of the burial mound and all light pouring from it mm. he stops and looks in and he says they, they describe they're not going to say aliens are they let's face it because we're in a different age we're going back hundreds of years and you can see hobs and goblins all banqueting and there's music and merriment they see him and everything stops and uh, one second, I'll just take this this cup. Thank you. Yeah. They see him and everything stops, and one of them comes over and offers him a, a drink in this cup, this strange, unusual cup, should we say? And he, he I mean, the story goes that he knew not to drink from the cup as become enslaved to the fairies or the the, the beings that that resided in the mound. So he tipped the contents out, and sort of dug his heels into his horse and did a runner with the being pursued by the people from within the mound. And he jumped the gypsy race, which is the, the stream that's got lots of strange stories attached to it in itself, the gypsy okay. race, and, uh, and, and escaped with the cup. Now, what it becomes interesting for me is, and I might have got my king wrong, but I think it was given as a wedding present to Edward the Elder. Right. And, you know, so it did exist. The cup exists. Whether the story is one man's imagination or something that's just got added to throughout time, I don't know. But um, the, the burial mound in itself is quite magical. Yeah. Canon, Canon, Canon Greenwell excavated it in the 1800s. He did a lot of excavations to burial mounds and earthworks around eastern North Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. And he notes that no burial mound that he'd ever worked on had as much atmosphere and, and strangeness as Willie Howe. And I've got a pilot who flew over the top of Willie Howe and had, has missing time in a light aircraft. 
uh, you know, <clears throat> yeah, and the, and the, the guy didn't it, the local dog walker in two thousand six. I was just going to say the local yeah. dog walker uh, who'd who'd never had an experience about anything like that. So a little man stood at side of the how, uh, dressed in ridiculous clothing like you would expect to see, in almost I don't know medieval. Yeah, uh, yeah, it sounded. I'd written it down here because. Uh, because I've seen something myself that, uh, you know, a little green man that was about three foot high and um, and dressed in a sort of similar way to what's being described here. Well, not not leather, but um, he describes it as um, skin brown with age, which is yeah. the kind of being I saw just so wrinkled and yeah. and uh, brown, um, just an ancient skin uh, to to this being that I saw um, so he says skin brown with age leather waistcoat baggy brown trousers unusual hat black and shiny eyes you know that kind of archetypal yeah. fairy gnome type being um, he stopped him walking his dog <laughs> you know he never he didn't walk back there he, you know frightened and uh, unless you've got something else to say there I've, I've got something else in my mind yeah please please yeah but some poachers but not a Willie Howell uh, they were actually at Gransmore, which is probably about three miles from where I'm sitting now, near Carnaby. In early evening, all it weren't quite dark, and they're setting out with a couple of dogs and they're going to go poaching. And one of them, and I don't know why the dogs didn't do it, because they've told me the story, one of them saw a little man, a little being, in the, in the, in the hedgerow. Now... Listeners, I can only report what I'm told. He booted it. Oh, no. Yeah, he kicked it. He was that shocked when he saw it. He kicked it and he, he just sent it flying into grass and that what last he saw of it. Oh, God. What happened to him after that is what I'd like to know. Nothing as far as I know, but, I, you know, I, I can only... I, I'd like to add to it some sort of magical element, but that's all I've got. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But it's a first-hand account... Uh, but that's all I've got. I haven't got, and he had bad luck ever since, or this happened to him and his dog's fur dropped off. <laughs> There's none of that. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's just, you've got what I've got. And it's yeah. crazy things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, around that area as well, um, around Willie Howe, um, I think this one happened in the area. The local elderly woman, um, she, she said there was a knock at her door, and this is going back into UFO territory now, but she said there was a knock at the door and she had a discussion with a man. And then she, uh, the next minute, all she remembers is um, looking at a UFO looking like... Yeah, got the drawing, craft. still got the drawing. That's right. Uh, I thought I'd lost it, actually, but, you know, and, um, yeah, there's a back door of a home. There's a little cottage in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And there's a knock on the door... She goes, like you've just said, goes to the door, answers the door. She recalls having a discussion with somebody, but she can't even remember who it was or what it looked like or anything. Mm. If I've got, you know, we're going back. Me head swimming with information, Joe. So <laughs> do you know what I mean? So I, I think that's where we are with this one. Uh, it's, it's, it's an early one. And yeah. she remembers then seeing, a, she did a painting of a black tube with white, not quite square. I think the slightly oblong, windows as we're perceiving along it but crazily it had a trunk like an elephant's trunk below it mm. sweeping the ground there's all fields at the back of her and uh, almost like a hoover so from speaking to this person 
that's she's then stood at the door watching this just I know we can't account for these things but that's mm. yeah that's the that's the one that you're referring to isn't it yeah it is but it sounds very much also like the one in um is it Leslie Buttle uh, in Bessingby, Bridlington, Leslie, those three yeah, women, I've, I've 1977, that was. I'm so grateful that Leslie shared that story with me and I've spoken to her many times and I, I see her most Saturdays, if only just to say hello and, I, you know, just to pass a few words with her because the other yeah. ladies have passed away. And uh, that's on Bessingby, so very close to Carnaby, where we've just, uh, and Gransmo, where we've just been saying, yeah. that's on Bessingby Industrial Estate and they worked at Brightax. I think they used to make car parts, windscreen wiper blades. So, an old factory. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, an old factory. Still there, factory, but now it's the dentist and split up into other things. One of my daughters works there. And uh, anyway, they're cleaners. And they're going to Brightax. And I think I think the time might have been about 10 to 5 in the evening. Mm. And they see this strange cloud. At the, there's an allotment outside at factory, you know, growing vegetables and what have you. And they see this strange cloud. But it's a clear night. It's just, you know, crisp night. And and they can't work out. It's cloudy. It looks oval-shaped, really weird, out of place, and it looks low. Then the mist cleared, and there's a like an egg-shaped, egg-on-its-side-shaped object. It's about as big as a family saloon car, and it's it's rotated. Don't ask me which way it was rotating. She has said, you know, there's, the middle of it's got a band that's moving round. And they suddenly become very, very frightened. They're terrified. Froz to spot looking at this thing. She said all airs on their arms stuck up, all static. It was terrible. And the tube dropped down from it, a green tube. Now, I, when, they're not sure. I mean, I've, I've spoke to Leslie many times and, and gone through this with her. She's not sure if it were a tube or a light, but a tube of light, we'll say. Mm -hmm. And then things from the allotment, and not just vegetables, anything, were just going up into this tube like a hoover. And then... I think there were more than one. It was seen. It was. It was seen at the woodlot yard. It was covered in a UFO magazine as well years ago, but they didn't do as good a story on it as what I did. And no disrespect to people, by the way. I'm not trying to say I'm better, but there's nothing like speaking to the witness. Yeah. yeah do you know what I mean? And they didn't speak to the witness. This got reported in local paper oh, okay. what they'd seen, and somebody created a story out of it just mm -hmm. based on newspaper reports. I mean. You don't have to be too idle to actually, you know, jump in your car and go see these people. Mm. Uh, you know, I think magazine were based in Leeds, so it weren't that far away. But that's that's as it was. So it these things leave and they go into the factory and tell everybody what they've seen. And they're just laughed at the machinery in the factory had stopped. Mm. And I think everything had stopped at 10 to 5. It says 444, 444, well, which, which I'm quite, I, th I think that in itself as well is quite interesting. Right, well, uh, fair enough, because she said a lot. Yeah. What, you've got to understand, Joe, that I haven't got this information. Oh, I know. Sorry, not at yeah. all. You're, I'm taking you back now to some of the earlier ones. Uh, yeah, so, so, yeah, so basically then 444. Yeah. Uh, and they couldn't get the machines going for some time. And then... When they got some of the machines going, I, th I think they were running backwards. They couldn't, they couldn't work it out anyway. Nobody could, but uh, they were laughed at. They were uh, one of the ladies were called Margaret Mooney, and and she never spoke about it for years. I just missed out on speaking to Margaret. You know, she passed away. Mm. But as I say, I've got in-depth information off Leslie more than probably more than she she wanted to tell us. You know, they all mm. suffered from sickness afterwards and and sort of vomiting yeah. and things, you know, which did nothing like that had been reported to local paper. Yeah. And I found out afterwards that 
when they sew it, and you, if you've got the information with you there, what day, whatever day they sew it, on the Sunday, mm -hmm. uh, officials came from somewhere. I don't even know if I wrote about this. I might have found about it afterwards. But they opened the town council up, oh. uh, officers, and they wanted to find out whose allotment specifically it was on. Uh, and they got, they, they obtained permissions and that, and they went on to allotment then, and they did an investigation on uh, covering the oh. allotment. Yeah, so this is, I mean, this is known, you know, this, this is what is kind of frustrating. I mean, I know we're never going to get the answers, uh, you know, the fully, but it's known. We know it. Yeah, governments no. clearly know it. Everybody yeah. knows, the, you know, governments do a really good job of ridiculing people and situations. And it, you know, and it, and it does all it. It tends to do is as you've just um, described there is uh, try and shut people up just close but, them down yeah you know, we've just brought up a, a i've just talked about something there and set my mind off thinking to myself yeah i've never i've never contacted council and mm -hmm. tried to get some kind of freedom of information requesting to yeah. take me back to that date to see whether people actually came to open this allotment up. Mm -hmm. uh, do, do, do you know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and I, now I, I know I'll make a note of this and I will do this. Yeah, great, great. <laughs> because, you know, it's the kind of thing that needs doing. I mean, in a few weeks' time on our Truth Proof live stream, we're going to interview Rick Doty. And uh, I recommend anybody listen to him. A, a wonderful guy. I got to speak to him at Awakening when I spoke there a, a few, well, about a month ago. And he's from America and he was speaking and his job, uh, we're not going into great detail about his job, but basically his job was to spread disinformation mm. about, because you've just touched on that, about people's UFO sightings, people's strange encounters. And now he's coming clean about that. He's not liked by some people because of that job, mm. but uh, we can't all be liked. I mean, if I, I'm not, I don't I have no idea what wages the man were on and he worked at I think it was central intelligence. I could be wrong. And uh, but at least the words getting out now. Exactly. The truth getting out yeah, now. That and sounds I've, I've great. Lost time for him, and I, I noted in comments when I've looked at a few live streams or, or a few podcasts and things that people have been a bit negative, but speakers are fine. Well, them. you know, the the main thing is that we're all kind of looking at this together, and that it that's the only way in which we'll kind of move forward. And that's not to say that we're going to come up and you know, shout out, oh, look, here's the answer, because that's not what it's all about. Sometimes it's about exploring together and just kind of shifting, you know, expanding outwards our, our shared knowledge and understanding. And um, I think there's something, you know, very enlightening about that. For I think that's what, you know, you could argue, perhaps that's what we're here to do uh, on this earth is kind of to expand our consciousness or enlightenment as it were and and something about this time and i've spoken to a lot of other researchers about this too and and listeners and viewers is that uh, there does seem to be this expansion right now this expansion of knowledge and awareness and maybe you know we're moving forward in some way as a in our evolution on this earth but it certainly does seem at the moment that uh, you know much of what has been um kept in the dark in the, in the past is now sort of slowly being revealed it, it is and uh, you know <clears throat> the knowledge is pro the, the 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 actual phenomena the actual uh, the actual 
things that we're dealing with are probably the same things from the past. It's probably us as a as as we're evolving that we're becoming more accepting of the reality that these of these things. I mean, before we've allowed we've allowed mainstream science to stamp on uh, any yeah. notion that these things there could be some reality to these things, but now it's becoming increasingly difficult when we when we realise that actually bona fide scientists are looking into this and are taking it seriously and it makes it very difficult for the dyed in the wool sort of regimented man of science because i realize that they that science is about proof and fact but it's still very difficult when you when you've got your people within your own uh circle of academia that are taking it very seriously it's, it's you know it's, it's good we're getting more people involved it's true. That's really, yeah, it's true. Well, I'm, I'm really excited about your work, Paul. I think you, you're going to have to come back on because we haven't even touched on the, um, the Cropton Forest werewolf, which is absolutely fascinating and chilling, the yeah, experience you know, that that guy had. That's true, Joan. You know, the Cropton one, it's only seven miles from Broxer. Yeah. I, use, I use Broxer as a, as a sort of pin in the board because it's... Epicentre. It's yeah, it's very close. And, yeah. and what we didn't touch on is in folklore, a broxer mm. is a shape-shifting demon. Mm. You know, the interesting name, strange name for a forest. It's very close to Silpho Forest, where in 1954, you've got the story of the Silpho flying saucer that was said to have landed. Yeah. You know, fascinating. You can see each forest from any these vantage points, literally a mile away from each other, three quarters of a mile away from each other. When we cut, They're all named, but they're all linked. They're just portioned off, I should imagine, by people various people who've owned the land over the years yeah. you know yeah so, but there's no big fences between them saying this is this one's Crockton and this one's Brock so everything kind of links it's just that they've all got separate names mm, well I'm feeling like I must get up there and and um you know and experience these places for myself I think um do you think a lot of people are flocking to these areas now without and, a doubt I'm getting yeah. more and more people coming to the cliff tops at Bempton and and, uh, and I'm keen to stress, Joe. You know, I said you might go, but you might have to you might have to go for a lifetime before you experience something. But mm. all I will say is that you're in a location where there's more probability of something happening than most places. And uh, you know, go on that premise because d don't go thinking yes, something's going to happen. You, you you said it yourself. I must get up there and experience these places because yeah. I think that's the that's the attitude to go with. Not go up there and I want to see UFOs. I want to see light forms because Paul's written four books and we know I've done five, but one's about my own experiences. Paul's written four books, and seventy percent of it is is along this eastern North Yorkshire coast. The content, mm. but it spans decades. These sightings yeah. span decades. But that's not to put a damper on anybody listening who wanted to visit. I will say, though, the, the RAF base is out of bounds. You know, yeah. I've got, to, I've got yeah. to stress that because I'm pretty sure that the first time I started advocating that it would have, oh, you need to explore that spot. Uh, if anything, anybody got hurt on it, it's private land. People would be after me, wouldn't they? And it's totally out of bounds. Actually, that's something just lastly I did want to mention and I'll ask you about is that, you know, from time immemorial, uh, the uh, royal and governmental military have do seem to have placed their bases on these sacred sites. You know, if you look down in Somerset, a lot of military activity down there. A lot of these spots, a lot of these sacred sites are 
uh, have had military bases kind of plonked on them over the ages. What, what do you think about that? Probably a lot of significance, or we could dress mm. it up in another way. You know, I've talked about RF Staxton Wall being the oldest operational RAF base in the world, but it's also the ice point of land around. But it's also the place where the light forms are seen, UFOs are yeah. seen, the, close to the cryptid, the Flixton werewolf. So did they place it there because of the height, the vantage point? Because it was a Roman hill fort a mm. long time before that. But then you've got RAF uh, Filingdales. Yeah, uh, yeah. which is uh, the early warning system. That's very close to these forests, Crockton, Stape, Broxa. It's very close, within like a few miles of these forests. So, so you're, you're writing what you're saying. And it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, the, the, the military installations are in places where these things are being seen. I mean, yeah. is there so much activity and, and sort of brain power poured into these places that it attracts unexplained phenomena? Mm-hmm. Is there some kind of power surge that comes, you know, through the landscape and something to do with ley lines? And... It well be, because at Bempton, you've got the Bempton Fault, which mm. sort of runs along and you've got the magnetic anomaly that runs out to sea and the anomaly right. spreads inland and goes up to around Filingdales. You know, so, so you know, yeah. there's a lot of talk about negative mag- magnetic anomalies being... being s- the epicenter of unexplained phenomena. Yeah. Uh, Steve Mira, who was a great researcher, and you need to get him on at some point, uh, and Barry Fitzgerald as well, they they talk about it. I'm not mm. sure that they're right. I think there's some truth in the magnetic anomalies having some kind of purpose or some kind of role in this. My mm. own feeling is that whatever's happening is on the peripheral, the peripheral of the anomaly, where the positive and the negative are in constant flux. But once again, I'm only speculating. It's uh, it's all fascinating. Whatever road you go down, I mean, you could spend you could spend a lifetime, or you could spend years and years just studying the magnetic anomaly and the the potential for unexplained phenomena, or collecting accounts that are happening around it. But mm-hmm. that kind of box you then, wouldn't it? You'd be just in one section of a of a much wider net. Yeah, yeah. We've just got to spread it and just keep looking. Well, thank you for the all the work you're doing, Paul. It's just brilliant and i can highly recommend your truth proof series absolutely absolutely loving them um and um i must get your uh the, the latest one you released is night no actually night people's not the latest ah okay uh, what's the latest so we've got the first truth roof then we've got one two and three and then i wrote night people ah and before then, four right yeah and then i wrote truth proof four yeah and uh uh, can I just give a little plug to the website? Please do, please yeah, yeah. do. So the website is truthproof.uk and there's lots of UFO reports on there that you'll not find anywhere else. So, you know, some of them are quite detailed, some are just a few paragraphs, but they're still unique in the first-hand accounts. Anybody with a website who wanted to use them, feel free to copy and paste. Uh, please just give our website or me reference for... The, the sighting and and that's good enough for me the books can be obtained the paperbacks can, can only be obtained through that website truthproof.uk if you want kindle versions they're on amazon and uh, yeah just read the reviews first there's lots of reviews on amazon about the books and form your own opinion before you decide you're gonna if you were gonna purchase a book before you make any decisions and your own uh, website you were mentioning you do live chats then haven't you got a podcast as well are you still running that or is it yeah yeah yeah, i'm I'm a bit slow with that answer every thursday 
we we run a live stream direct to YouTube. It's the Truth Proof live stream. So we get some fairly interesting guests on. Some of them spectacular, to be honest. At least expected ones are, are you know the ones that are just not as well known turn out to be just as interesting as everybody else. Oh yeah. So, so it's seven o'clock till nine most Thursdays, and. Yeah. Uh, as I say, we've got Rick Doty on in a few weeks' time. We've had Whitley Strieber on. We've had Jim Segala, the scientist from Skinwalker, as Steve Meader. We've had some great guests on, as well as people who are just, I wouldn't say straight off the street, but people who've had extraordinary experiences but don't usually talk about these things. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, the, the kind of stuff we, we love yeah, and we need exactly. to hear. <laughs> so uh, this is fabulous. Thank you so much, Paul. And um, yeah, please come back again. I'd love to chat to you another time. Will do. Thank you very much. Pleasure. Okay.